0: Well, wow. anybody like God? <laughs> isn't he awesome? It's kind of cool, like that, isn't he? Man, well, I've been uh, at a conference all weekend, uh, Global Celebration, Georgie, Georgie and Banoff, and we've been experiencing the presence of God in manifest ways, and we've been hearing uh, some powerful teaching and preaching and proclamation and declaration and it's been a, just a real impartation and download that our region has needed it continues to need we're we're a hungry region aren't we and we're a very hungry region and we receive that which the lord sends to us and and we're grateful for that and god is is preparing this area for a move he's preparing this area for Uh, to a demonstration of his glory of his kingdom of his power and uh, we're going to be a part of that we are going to be a part of that this this region is is desperate for God and it needs him (laughs) this city needs God amen that's what we're contending for and so today we have the incredible privilege of having one of the main speakers from that conference come here today but before uh, we get to him, I'm going to introduce the guy who will introduce him, <laughs> a guy that we're all very familiar with, I'm absolutely familiar with, a guy, his name's Dave Knoll, and uh, he's been uh, helping uh, Chris and, and helping at the conference, but, you know, more than just being a servant to Chris, Dave Knoll is a, a father and a shepherd of revival in this region, and yeah, let's honor him for that. <clears throat> and uh, he's been leading the Indianapolis School of Supernatural Ministry for three, four years, five, ten—I don't remember—seven, seven years. He's been leading that uh, based on just a word that the Lord gave him. And if he wants to share more on that, I'm gonna, Dave. Wouldn't you come up here, please, and and just, uh, um, yeah, let's honor him again. Dave Noel. Dave Noel, everybody. The man is here. So, bless you, Dave.
1: Thank you, Tom. Tom. Wow. Well, the only thing standing between you and Chris Gore is me. (laughs) So, I want to be brief, but I tell you what, uh, I was just sitting there thinking of uh, what great introduction I could give to Chris, and then we got to that last song, You're the One, <sighs> that really matters, and it messed me up good. <laughs> uh, so, so messed up, hmm. and uh, I felt like I just saw us in the throne room, and Jesus was coming over, and. Planting a kiss on everyone's forehead. (sighs) He gets past all the stuff, you know, to the way things really are. So uh, it's my honor to introduce Chris. I've admired him from afar for several years. How many of you were at the conference and, and heard Chris speak already? Okay, not, not very many. Christopher was there. He heard himself speaking. <laughs> that's good self-awareness right there. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're really in for a treat. He leads the Bethel Healing Rooms, uh, where he has nearly 2,000 people under his care who minister healing. 2,000 people, that's like a small town, <laughs> right? And um, he has this uh, wonderful... Uh, ministry of healing, but a, a ministry of equipping people to be healers uh, for a sick world. And I, th- I just know that he is uniquely positioned to do what he's doing. And uh, so you'll find that out in just a moment. How many of you have high expectations? Okay. I would like you to quadruple those <laughs> because you, you're, you're really in for a treat. I know that Chris is from New Zealand, so you'll you'll hear that accent. Uh, I know that he likes uh, bacon and butter (laughs) and avocados. Not necessarily in that order. So So without further ado, would you mind standing to your feet and just welcoming Chris Gore as he comes? (laughs)
2: Good morning. It is such a joy to be here. You feel like you're so far away. It's like you're oceans away from that. Uh, I said to Dave, "Well, at least you're safe. You're not in the spitting zone." <laughs> All right. It's such a joy to be here, and uh, we just had a great, uh, had a great uh, weekend. And wherever I was, Indiana. Right? And uh, it was great. With Friday night was uh, Friday night, and l- last night were just awesome. I don't know how many people were there Friday night, but uh, I don't know maybe 400. But would we see, 280 miracles, I think it was. And uh, last night we went specifically after mental health, and uh, it's just something that's really been on my heart of late. I just God wants this church well. And it's interesting. We had about two thirds of the church last night stand for mental al- mental health issues. And it's like we got to we got to do something about this. Um, the church really should be the healthiest people on the place of the, on the face of the earth. Yeah. We should not be sick. You know, sickness is part of the curse. I'm not condemning anyone. We're all have our moments, but uh, but we really should be healthy, healthy, healthy people. I um just a couple things before I before I jump in. I have um I I love local I love local church. I prefer to be in local church than like regional conferences sometimes because I you know, really like to see that something's been built and I love don't like layer on layer precept on precept so I really got a heart for local church so I'm doing something for local church that I didn't do at the conference and if you're at the conference and you're like ah like, you know, they got a better deal in local church than the conference yeah sorry about that <laughs> My uh, my book is back there it's, uh, I, I, my heart is to equip people. I, I really do believe that we're no longer in the, in the day of the man of God. We're in the day of the God of man. It's about the body arising to their place, their rightful inheritance of who they are in Christ. We all get to do it. We all get to play. We all get to participate. It's no longer about you know, the man and the preacher or whatever. So, so this book is back there. This addresses the heart of healing. It, how many of you know it's the transformed mind that reveals the glory of God? I believe that the number one reason for lack of breakthrough in the church is bad theology. You adjust your theology, you watch the miracles flow. And uh, so I, this, I, I, I barbecue lots of sacred cows in here and uh, it's <laughs> and I really bring the, the truth of healing and according to, according to Jesus and what Jesus said and the way that he is my role model, not somebody else's experience or not somebody else's model, Jesus is my role model. So, uh, so that is there. That is sixteen dollars. I also have uh, another uh, book back there, and uh, this one is more of how to walk in, in the miraculous, more on a practical level. This one transforms the heart and the mind. This one is more practical, how to practically walk it out. This one is ten. This one is sixteen. What we're going to do for you today is, if you buy the two of those, you're going to get them uh, both for twenty, and then on top of that, we're going to um, we're going to throw in a four dollar audi- audio message as well on stewarding your healing. So you're getting uh, th- $30 of stuff for $20. And it sounds like, like they didn't get that at the other place. Don't tell them, all right? <laughs> Please don't tell them. They'll come and want their money back. <laughs> Anybody want this? Anybody else want it? It's, it's out there. You can buy it. <laughs> there we go. I, got this, uh, I don't carry CDs. CDs are kind of old technology. I've got rid of CDs about five years ago now. And I carry uh, what they call uh, audio download cards. So you buy the card here, and then you just go to the back. It's a website. There's a code. You go and you enter into the website, you enter in the code, and the message will drop straight into your computer, your iPhone, your iPad, your smartphone, your dumb phone, Whatever. <laughs> So uh, those are there, and uh, they're just great because if I carried a CD, it'd cost you $8 for a CD, and I can sell them cheaper, so they're $4, and guess what? They don't scratch. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now this particular message, I just want to share two, two of them, uh, two of my favorite messages. Uh, this one here is called The Power of the Lord's Table. Uh, about, uh, about a year ago, I was uh, um, praying one morning, and I was reading 1 Corinthians 11.29, and it says, whoever drinks of this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment upon themselves. And it's a passage that I've heard quoted in church so many times as we come around the Lord's table. And, uh, and it's a passage that never sat right with me. So I began to do some research into what does it mean when Paul says, whoever drinks of this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment upon themselves. And it's not what you think it is because it's been taught from the pulpit That if you have sin in your life, you need to repent before you partake. Otherwise, you'll partake and you'll have judgment on yourself. Have we turned what is meant to be the greatest blessing for the church, communion, into the greatest curse of the church? And we curse the church across the world every single Sunday at communion time. That's not what Paul meant when he said, whoever drinks of this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment upon himself. So that is is there and what Paul means by that. The other message, anybody like this one? Yeah. That lady in the blue top. You know, I saw your hand first. <laughs> you Got to be fast around here to get things right. <laughs> um, this this one here is, um, I didn't have it yesterday because we thought I didn't have any, and then we found them in my suitcase or somewhere last night after the conference had closed. Thank you, team. Uh, it's called The Secret of John, and it's, it's one of my favorite ones. I tossed up whether I was going to preach this this morning, but I really feel to preach something else. How many of you know that, oh, I really believe that John had a secret that the other disciples didn't have, and that secret is found in John thirteen twenty three, where it says there's one that's leaning on the breast of Jesus and whom Jesus loved. Well, it's a really interesting because who was it leaning on the breast of Jesus? John, in the book of, and who wrote the book of John? So John's writing about himself. There's another fascinating fascinating passage that says, in John, it says, the, disciple, um, the other disciple and Peter, Peter and the other disciple were running to the tomb, but the other disciple outran Peter. It's John talking about himself again. See, I, I believe that John perhaps had, was the one that carried the most understanding and revelation of how much he has loved see that particular passage was taken out of the last supper they're in the last in the upper room and john is there and peter's there and the other disciples are there and john's leaning on jesus and he says there was one leaning on the breast of jesus and whom jesus loved well what does john's name mean love if you break love down further it means it means grace there's another disciple there that night and he turns to john his name's peter and he says john who is it that betrays jesus and john says i'll just ask jesus why didn't peter ask john probably because he couldn't get anywhere near him cuz john was snuggled in there but those that are closest to the heart of god he reveals the secrets of his heart to those that are close see john was close to peter closer than sorry john was closer to jesus than peter was but peter His name means rock, and rock means stone. And if we break that down further, we could say that uh, that Peter's name means law. So what we could say is that law and grace are at the Lord's table that night. And Peter always goes on about how much he loves Jesus. Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I know the others will at the very end, but I'll be the one that's there. See, Peter didn't go on about how much he loved Jesus. I'm sorry, John didn't go on about how much he loved Jesus. John went on about how much Jesus loved him. See, his foundation and our foundation must be in how much we're loved, not how much we love. It's not that I don't love, but my foundation is in how much I am loved. And it's out of that foundation that I love, perfect love, 1 John Not how much we love God, but how much God loves us. And when we get that revelation of how much we're loved, I cannot help but love Him back. I talk to people about this all the time. What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God. And I hear it rammed down churches' throats every week. You shall love the Lord your God. How much are you loving Him? This is the first and the greatest commandment. But when we put that passage into context, the context of the passage is... That uh, that the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, testing him, saying, "Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law?" Well, we're not under law; we're under grace. If you have to be commanded to love God, I think you've got a little problem going on. I don't need to be commanded to love God. It's the fruit of knowing how much He loves me. Amen. Amen. Anybody need a revelation of how much that lady back there of the glasses? You are fast, yeah. yes, you, yes, you are fast, man, man. The you guys are just slow. Oh, <laughs> it's the ladies getting things today. There we go. Bless you. All right. I wanted to. Um, I am the I am the healing director of. Uh, Bethel Church and uh, everything to do with physical healing, I am, I am over and, uh, and run. And there's a multitude of, there's a number of different departments within that. There's a whole department that handles the frontline ministry of, you know, just after church. We have, I think it's eight services in a weekend now. And uh, so all the ministry team that ministry, we pray for the sick every single service with, without fail. So that's about 800 ministry team members on the front line that operate, you know, report to me. My healing rooms alone that run on Saturday morning for a couple hours, my ministry team there is 880 ministry team in that. It's a, I have a gigantic team. Um, then I have all these auxiliary teams. I have, our, I have an auxiliary team that actually runs the chaplaincy program of one of our hospitals. We run the entire thing. And it's not our Christian hospital. It's our non-Christian hospital. We're not allowed in the Christian hospital, but we're certainly allowed in the non-Christian hospital. <laughs> that's that's about to change. I've got an appointment with the, the head sister there this week to <laughs> sort out a mess. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> And uh, so that's I have a team of 15 chaplains that operate, that operate in our non-Christian hospital. That's another team. We have a Skype ministry team that minister to people from all over the world that Skype in. I also have a pastor on call team. People uh, from all over the world call in wanting to speak to a pastor. So I have a volunteer team uh, through the week of about 20 people that operate that. You can phone up and say, can I pr- have a pastor to pray for me? And you'll be put through to one of my team. So everything that I have uh, to do at Bethel is, is to do with healing. See, I'm on, a, I'm on a journey, and the journey that I'm on is that I really only got one quest in life, and the quest is this, is I want to discover how much of the blood of Jesus, and what, how much did he pay for? How much did he pay for? And I'm constantly pushing in to discover how much the blood of Jesus paid for. I don't want to go through life, or I don't want to, go to, I don't want to just go to another meeting. Jesus didn't go through all he went through, so we can just do church. I really am on a quest as to understanding uh, the price that he paid and how much, and you know what exactly he pay, paid uh, paid for. And I want to share a message, <coughs> really about. <coughs> is I think there's a, I don't really know what it's about. It's got a whole bunch of stuff in it, but <coughs> I really want to share a message about learning to, learning to keep Jesus as centre. You know, the the miracles are not the centre of my life. Jesus Christ is i i love miracles like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe i mean i just love seeing miracles i love seeing torment broken off people's lives the last two years we've seen like 41 autistic kids healed now yeah i mean that just there's nothing that just excites me more than seeing torment broken off a child that that has or that has autism and so miracles have become a regular part of my life we get to you know regularly see a couple of hundred miracles a week and and that's just fun but at the end of the day, it's Jesus that's the center of my life. It's Jesus. I want to make sure that, that Jesus is the central element of, of my life, that he's the one at the center, not the miracle. See, the miracle is a sign that points to a greater reality. On the top of the door over there, we have an exit sign. We don't exit through the exit sign. We exit through the door but the exit sign points to a greater reality the door and the door is Jesus Christ so i love miracles but i want to talk more tonight or this morning about about the door and and keeping keeping Jesus at the center of everything of everything that we do i went on this journey of really discovering Jesus afresh and i don't know if you realize but Jesus is on every page he's on every single page in the bible from the very beginning to the very end and some of us think well he was he just appeared in Matthew didn't he no no he didn't appear in Matthew he appeared in flesh in Matthew but he's in every single book he's not hidden from us he's hidden for us He's hidden for us to research and for us to find him out and to look for him where he is in the Bible. So I've been on this search of, of understanding Jesus and finding Jesus in all circumstances of my life and all circumstances of every single story in the Bible. A couple of years ago, uh, it's, it's just on three years ago, I had a 1999 Dodge Caravan. And it was not in good shape. I mean, my kids really didn't. I was teaching them to drive. My kids. I was teaching them to drive in it, and uh, they were yeah. they were really nervous. I mean, they would say, Dad, I think the wheels are going to fly off this thing." You know, I mean, it was, it was that rattly and bangy. And I I took it to the uh, tire shop and the mechanic shop, and I'm like, "Can you just make sure that the tire, the wheels are not going to go flying off?" And they examined it and said, yeah, "The wheel bearings are loose, but you're fine. The, you know, you're not going to fly. are not going to fly off." Anyways, it was time to get rid of the car, so I got I got rid of my car. And I, I bought a, um, I, I leased myself a, a, a Mazda, a Master 6, you know, and uh, it's a great car. I love it. And uh, I went up to, I went up to Oregon. I purchased it in Oregon. And, and uh, <laughs> this is kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but uh, my my Dodge Caravan, like I would struggle to get that thing to 70 miles an hour. Like when you're doing 70 miles an hour, you know, you feel like you are, like in a rocket, like you're flying, but. You, you know but you feel like you're flying so I pick up I pick up this Master 6 and I'm driving home uh, does anyone here work for the police for <laughs> <laughs> confessions of a, a minister and uh, I'm flying I'm driving home in my Master 6 and my friend was following behind me in my car I actually rented a car to go up there because I didn't think my Dodge was going to make it so, so he's driving the rental car back, and I'm driving the Mazda 6 back. And I'm just cruising along, thinking, man, I must be doing 40, 50, 60, maybe, maybe nearly 70 mile an hour. And I look down at the speed, and I'm coming up behind a truck. And I pull out to pass this truck. I don't like being behind trucks. I had a bad experience where a big rock like this came out behind one and took me out. And I, so I, I pulled out behind this truck, put my foot down, and just started to accelerate away. And like that, I realized I was at 107 miles an hour. I just <laughs> <laughs> Whoa back that wagon up. <laughs> and uh and then it came up on the screen, it's, it says on the screen, Do you wanna connect to Pandora? It's got this console. And I, I didn't know what Pandora was. I heard my kids I heard my kids talking about it and I thought it was the lady that lived up the road. <laughs> I'm kinda of technically challenged the older I get, you know. Used to know how to do all that technical stuff and now it's like I don't even know how to wire the D V D to the T V. It's now like I get the kids in to do it. And I said, Do you want to connect to Pandora? And I'm like, Man, I was Pandora, the lady up the road, gonna call me, you know. So I hit Pandora and uh, then my iPhone flashed and it said to enter in a code, so I entered in this code. It said, connecting to Pandora and it just pauses for a second. And then and then uh, Tina Turner starts singing. <laughs> and she's singing, she sing- she comes out blasting, you know, her song, You're simply the best. You're better than all the rest and i'm like oh man this is amazing it's a christian station <laughs> i mean she's turn turner singing about jesus you know you're simply the best i mean because i want to have jesus at the center so i'm always looking for jesus in every circumstance of my life is that i just choose to believe that she's singing about jesus that he's simply the best the very next song was robert morris you're simply irresistible and I'm like, oh there, oh man, this this is a great station, you know. And I'm just singing along, you know. You're simply irresistible. I'm singing to Jesus. I don't know who he's singing to, but I'm singing to Jesus that he is the simply irresistible one. See, Jesus needs to be the centre of uh, of our very lives. So I went through the Bible and I started looking. I mean, I know that there's going to be many more than this, but. I started going through the Bible and looking for Jesus in every story. And what I discovered is that Jesus is the second Adam because the first Adam prophesied him. We see in Genesis 3 verse 21, he was the lamb that was slain to get the tunic of skin to, to clothe us in righteousness. We see that he is the beloved, the rejected, the exalted son and the, and the world bread supply like Joseph. We see that he is the root out of dry ground in Isaiah 53, and we see that he's the priest like Aaron and Melchizedek because they prefigured him. In Exodus 15:22, one of my favorite ones, we see Jesus Christ as a stick because it's the bitter water. There's a pool a bit of bitter water, and they take the stick, and they strike the stick into the bitter water, and the bitter water turns sweet. The stick is a representative of the cross, and the cross is a representative of Christ. And when Christ touches something bitter in your life, it turns it to sweet. How many of you got something bitter going on in your life? Like, just allow the cross to touch it, and it'll turn what was bitter into something into something sweet. I'm sorry, I just had an appointment pop up on my calendar. I cannot make it. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> It's just reminding me of something that has happening at 11 o'clock. <laughs> we see that he is the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. When we see him, he is the prophet like Moses because Moses typified him. We see he's the, he's the water that came out of the rock in the wilderness, and we see that Jesus is the manna that fell from the sky. We see he is the brazen serpent that was lifted in the wilderness, and he was the scapegoat bearing away the sins of the people. See, Jesus is the picture of the art of the covenant, and we see that he is the mercy seat where the Shekinah glory dwells. We see that he is the sacrifice upon the brazen altar in the tabernacle in the temple, and we see that he is a champion like Joshua, and the name Joshua actually means Jesus. We see that he is a king like David, and he is a wise counselor like Solomon. We see that he is the lion of Judah, and we see that he is the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We see he is the fruitful branch, and we see that he is the one without form or comeliness, yet he's altogether lovely. Isaiah 53 verse 2. See, we can go through the Bible, and we can find Jesus on every page, and I want to challenge us this morning in our reading and our daily reading of the Word that you begin to look for Jesus, that you begin to look and re-establish Him as the center of your life, and go on a little adventure. Where is Jesus on this page? Because He is on every single page of the Bible. It's just for us to find Him. We see Him as Adam. We see Him as uh, we see Him as Joseph. Joseph is. The one that scholars believe that most typifies Christ. That's probably not the one I want to talk about this morning. But we see him as so many similarities between Jesus and Joseph. You know, Joseph was sold for a handful of silver. Sound like somebody else. He was betrayed by his brothers. Sound like somebody else we know. So we can go through and we can see these similarities between Joseph and Jesus. We see him as Daniel. We see him as Jacob. We see him as Gideon. And one of my favorite stories, which is in in my book, We see him as Boaz. It's a wonderful romantic story. And you young ladies, make sure that you find yourself a nice Boaz, not a damn ass. (laughs) 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 hope that's okay to say in church. I I never said that before. It just came out. It's an absolutely amazing love story. I don't say that in my book, and by the way, it just literally came out. <laughs> my My filter on my brain was broken for a second. <laughs> But it's an, it's an amazing love story of, of Ruth and Boaz, and it's set in 1322 B.C. See, Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite, and we are like Ruth and, and because we're not Jews. Well I'm, well, I'm not, and Boaz is like Jesus. And Boaz is the, the kinsman redeemer, and to be a kinsman redeemer, we have to be, you have to be a relative, you have to be wealthy, and you have to be willing. And It's this incredible story. I'm, I'm not going to go into the story. You can read it in the books. It's an incredible story of a love story of between Ruth and Boaz. See, Boaz is our Jesus. That's Jesus right there, typified as the person of Boaz. I want to. Um, I w- I was going to talk about Joseph. I, I want to skip. I want to skip Joseph. I found about sixty comparisons between Joseph and Jesus. You go find them for yourself. I, I gave you. I gave you two, for free. Here's another one. he was rejected and c- condemned to die and there's, there's Joseph, there's Jesus. He was stripped of his clothing. He was sold for silver. he was raised from a pit. he became a servant. Everything he did he prospered in. he resisted temptation. he was falsely accused. he was numbered with transgressors. he was uh, promised deliverance to a conde- he promised deliverance to a condemned man. He foretold the future accurately. There's Joseph and Jesus. Every one of those, I've got scriptures for every one of these. He was proved to be a great counselor. He was promoted to honor and glory and given a new name. He, is, he was told that all people would be commanded to bow to him. He provided for all those that are in need. His people. His people did not recognize him. His brothers were troubled when they met him. They allowed his, bro- his, to, his brothers. He allowed his brothers to suffer for a period of tribulation, and he was revelation and reconciliation. See, that's Jesus, in every one of those, and that's Joseph that I'm talking about. And um, and I I I just love going through. I tell you, I I want to share this. I do want to share this about Joseph, is that you know we go on trials in life, and it's not that the trials from God, but let's turn the test into a testimony. You know the tests come, and it's not that the tests are necessarily from God, but when the tests come, let's turn that into a testimony. Life throws you lemons; let's throw it in, let's turn it into lemonade. Lemonade. Let's, you know, and and I go through the story of Joseph, and and it's fascinating because if it had not been for Joseph's betrayal, Joseph would never have ended up in Egypt. If he had not ended up in Egypt, he would have never have had the encounter with part of his wife if he had not encountered of his wife he would never have gone to the dungeon and if he had not gone to the dungeon he would never have got to interpret the butler's dream if he had not interpreted the butler's dream he would never have got to stood before pharaoh and if he had not got to stand in front of pharaoh he would never have got to inter- interpret pharaoh's dream if he had not got to interpret pharaoh's dream he would never have been able to save his brothers See, life throws us things. Things come at us. But God takes those things and he turns all things to good for those that love him. See, our job is just to keep Jesus at the center, not the problem at our center. Knowing that he's in every circumstance that we're in. Even in the days of hardship, it's like, Jesus, where are you? And you'll probably find he's actually carrying you in the midst of the difficult time. But that's not, Joseph is not. Joseph is not who I want to talk about today. I actually want to talk about Isaac, and it's uh, scholars say that scholars say that Joseph is the one that most typifies Christ. I'm not a scholar, but I happen to believe it's Isaac. In my opinion, and uh, and Isaac is probably it, it is it is my favorite one. See, I I want to talk. I'm talking about keeping Jesus at the center, and I want to spin off on a couple of angles on this. But when we keep Jesus as the center and we read the Bible through the lens of where is Jesus, you begin to discover, discover Jesus in a new light. you begin to discover him in places that you never knew he was. And uh, so I, I'm reading through my Bible and I'm reading the story of Isaac and Abraham. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk so much about Sarah. This is more about Isaac and, Isaac and, and, and Abraham. But when we put the story into context and we start looking for similarities between Jesus and Isaac, this is what I discovered. Both births were prophesied years before they happened. Jesus' birth was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, and Isaac's birth was prophesied 25 years before it happened. So we we have a comparison between the two right there. We see that Isaac's birth was a miracle. The Bible tells us that Sarah was not just barren, but Sarah was double barren. She was barren beyond the years, but she was also barren. She was beyond childbearing years, but she was also barren. So we see that Sarah was double barren. So it was a miracle for Sarah to bring forward Isaac, just like it was a miracle for Mary to bring forward Jesus because she was Jesus was born of a virgin. We see that both sets of parents were told what to name their child. We see that I, I, Isaac... And Abraham was Sarah's only son. It was this only son. I know there's an Ishmael, but that wasn't their only son. It was his son, but it was their only son. of, of um, And we know that Jesus was God's only son. We know that Abraham is asked to sacrifice his only son. And this is the only child that they'd waited so long for. When the promise was given... They waited, they waited 25 years before the fulfillment of that promise. And then it was not till later that he was called to sacrifice his son, which we're going we're gonna to talk about in just a second. We see that Abraham takes Isaac on a three-day journey. Sound like somebody else that went on a three-day journey. And we also know that Abraham made Isaac carry his altar on his back going up the hill be sacrificed. And we know that Jesus Christ carried his cross on his own back up the hill to be sacrificed for each one of us. See, there's so many comparisons as we go through the story. We see that I I believe that both we know that Jesus was obedient to his father to the very point of death. We know that it was by his obedience that he was obedient to the father to the very point of death and i would like to propose to you this morning that it was also Isaac's. isaac laid down his life in obedience to abraham now you might ask how i how i come to that conclusion i come to that conclusion because old testament scholars now believe that isaac was 33 at the point that isaac t- that abraham took him up the hill sound like somebody else that we know Now Isaac was one hundred. I'm sorry. Abraham was one hundred when Isaac was born, and if Isaac is thirty three when Isaac's taken up the hill to be sacrificed, that puts Abraham at age one hundred and thirty three when he take him up the hill to sacrifice him. Now this is how I come to the conclusion that it was that he surrendered to the will of his father, because it says that Abraham. Binds Isaac, and he puts him on the altar. Well, I mean, I'm not quite sure how a 133-year-old man's going to lift a 33-year-old man onto the altar, let alone catch him to tie him up. Like, I mean, no 133-year-old man's going to whip me, and I'm I'm not quite 33, but spirit of Lion, come out. See, he willingly sacrificed his life for his father i could at least i may not be able to beat him in a fight but i could at least outrun him you know 100 100 years older so i really believe that that isaac willingly gave his life for his father for his father for the plans of his father see jesus is the fulfillment of the offering on, my, on of isaac on mount moriah Isaac was sacrificed on Mount Moriah, and scholars tell us that on Mount Moriah you turn around and you'll see right where Jesus was sacrificed. Are you with me? You know, there's a couple of points that I want to bring out of this message, and I I want to I really want to challenge us as a church, and I want to just spin off the word that Pastor gave, and you know, thank you, thank you so much for for having me. It's, it really is. It really is a joy to minister to local church. I mean I really do love local church and I want to see local church strengthened and I enjoy doing I more enjoy doing local church conferences than, you know, just a splattering of people that come to a conference. You know, it's like, man, we can actually really build something with local church. And uh so so thanks for having me. But the first uh the first point I wanted to, to take out of the story of I of Abraham and Isaac is that we need to we need to remain thankful and stay in hunger. See, hunger and thanksgiving are two sides of the same coin. And I see a lot of I see a lot of people that have have seen stuff. They've seen the provision of God. They've seen the miraculous. But when we become thankful without being hungry, we've actually decided where we want to plateau out in our walk. It's like it's okay, God, I'm seeing a level of the supernatural. I'm a a happy camper right here. I don't really want to grow anymore. I'm just happy with this. You know, I'm happy with the breakthrough I'm seeing. I'm happy with the financial provision I'm seeing. But yet I've seen on the other side, I've seen people that are so hungry for God that they don't know how to be thankful for what he has done. And when when we are thankful without hunger, we plateau out in our walk. We're like, I'm just settling for complacency. I'm, I'm okay here, Fred. Thank you. But when we are hungry without, hunger, or without thanksgiving, hunger without thanksgiving will lead to frustration, and frustration will lead to desperation, and desperation will lead to unfruitfulness and unbelief. See, we can't be people that are hungry without thankfulness, and we can't be thankful without hunger that we must be people that learn to celebrate in the simplicity of life while remaining hungry for the things that we have not seen, that we become hungry and thankful. Is this making sense to anybody here? I I tell you, I, I am so hungry for more. I want more of God. I want greater breakthroughs. I want to see more. But I'm the most thankful person as well that when I see the little lady's, little old lady's headache that gets removed, which is just a very common miracle, it's like some of us are like, it's just a headache. I want to see the heads grow back. It's like I'm going to be just as thankful for the headache that dissolves, let alone the head that grows back. I mean, I want to live in that place where... We need to live in that place that we're so in the awe of God. And so much of the church, they lose the awe of God on the miraculous and it becomes so familiar that they're no longer excited. You know, I was sharing with some students the other day and, and I said, you know, they, I forgot what the question was, but I remember the answer as a question around familiarity. And, and I said to them, Was it you that answered? I don't remember who asked me the question. I said, you know, one of my least favorite churches in the world to do a miracle service is Bethel. I I lead Friday night service. We have a 1,000 people there every Friday night, and when I'm in town, I'm in charge. I I run that service. It doesn't mean I preach every Friday night, but I run that service. I said, there's two months of the year that I love to preach on Friday night, September and October, because the new students come in. And they're like, oh, oh, like I'm hungry. You know, like they're in the awe of God. They're looking for the miraculous. They're looking for Jesus. They're like, man, this is awesome. But within a couple of months, it becomes so familiar, that it becomes so familiar that they lose the place of the awe of God. And it comes to You preach. They hear the preaching, and then it comes to the miracle time where you're going to do some miracles on a miracle night. You're going after some miracles. And like clockwork, every time a whole bunch of students will get up when we begin to release words of knowledge and minister, a bunch of students will get out and walk out the back door and go home because they know what's going to happen. Ah, it's okay. I need a miracle. I can get it tomorrow. I can get you know next week. I can get it to the healing rooms. It's like we get, we, it was sometimes we can get such a feed that we become picky. But yet you go into a place like I was at the other night, not used to seeing great breakouts and miracles. They hang on every word and no one would dare leave because they're pushing into that which they are not familiar with. And I want to I challenge you as a church. I, I don't know where you're at, so please don't think it's a corrective word. It's a warning word. I'm not here to correct anybody. It's not my role. It's his role. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a warning word. Of like, there is more. There is so much more that we can push into. And I want us as a church, I'm speaking to myself, to snap out of the place of complacency and push into the more. Because there is more. There is so much more. We are in a day of the kingdom come, kingdom now. But the kingdom is still coming. And it will continue to come. And he's looking for somebody that knows how to push in and continue to go after and continue to remain hungry. You know, there's multiple scriptures where it says, and the disciples were in awe of what they saw. It's not, I mean, they were seeing miracles. They were seeing the most dramatic miracles. I mean, read your Bible. Some of them are just outright weird. I mean, I love the one where the guy's preaching and he preached so long, the guy fell out the window. I mean, he falls out the window and dies, and they just go down, raise him up from the dead, bring him up, and keep going. (laughs) I mean, the Bible says that the disciples were continuously in awe. See, they didn't grow old of the supernatural. They didn't become familiar with it. They kept on pushing in to what was available, that there is more and they keep on celebrating and they're in awe at the works of what they were doing and in awe at the works of what Jesus is doing. See, I can't help but wonder how much we would see if we became hungry as well as thankful. And we started celebrating in the simplicity of life. I, I am quite convinced that many people miss the, miss the miracle because they're looking for the spectacular don't miss the miracle because you're looking for the spectacular celebrate in the simplicity and you'll see the spectacular you'll see the miraculous when we can give thanks for the little things in life when we're thankful I was at a conference <coughs> a couple years ago and uh, I was talking along a similar theme and I gave I gave this illustration and I I'll never forget it and I have hardly ever shared this. I think it's an, I think I wrote a story in the book, and I said, "Let's just say that we need financial breakthrough, and let's just say you need." I was in I was in the country of Guernsey, which is off the coast of England. They have their own currency. It's a little kind of quaint little place. Anyone ever been to Guernsey? It's <laughs> the streets are so narrow that you have to pull your wing mirrors in because you snap them off driving down the streets. Like you, you hit cars, and you know, it's, yeah, it's a very very cute place. And I said, let's just say that you needed a financial breakthrough of fifty thousand pounds, which is s- probably seven, seventy thousand dollars. And I said, and and I and I walk up to you, and uh, and I'm going to sow into your breakthrough. You need fifty thousand pounds. And I and I just walk up to a man and I say, I'm going to sow into your breakthrough. And I and I put I put one p in his hand, which is like one point five cents. See, you have a choice see the choices <coughs> I need it. I need 70,000 I need $70,000 I mean that's hardly going to see my breakthrough or you can have a choice to give thanks because it's in thanksgiving that the kingdom grows and I said so what are you going to do and I put the microphone up to his mouth and said so what are you going to do give thanks and I'm like there you go you you see just increased and i put a i put a couple of pounds in his pocket and in his hand, it was literally no more than 2 pounds and he goes thank you god he says thank you god he says i really do need financial breakthrough thank you god i'm just going to give thanks for the seed of god and i'm going to be in awe of god for what someone just sowed into my life that was nothing it wasn't enough to buy him a coffee thank you god thank you god and it, we break for lunch and he goes home for lunch and uh, we had a, like a two-hour break, and he comes back, and he's weeping. And he goes, you wouldn't believe what happened over lunch. And I'm like, what? And he goes, my parents, is is v- quite a rich nation, right? And, and he said, my parents have been trying to sell their house, but they can't sell it. Two years not being able to be sold. Two years. My parents said to me that when the house sells, that that's their inheritance. That's my inheritance, and I'm actually going to get a share of the profits, the share of the profits was equal to 50,000 pounds. But the house is never sold. While I'm having lunch today at my parents' house, there's a knock on the door with a realtor. The realtor walks in with the person and says, I want this house and paid cash for it on the spot. He said, At lunchtime, I got 50,000 pounds. See, are you going to despise the day of small beginnings? Are you going to look and scoff at the little breakthroughs? Because when we scoff at the little breakthroughs, we're actually despising the day of small beginnings. And that's exactly where you'll start. stay. But yet, when we give thanks for the little breakthroughs, the miraculous will increase. It's called stewarding. Stewarding what the Lord has provided and sometimes I believe that the stewarding is actually a test from God of can you be thankful with the small. Because when you can be thankful with the small, he can trust you with the big. And and things will begin to increase in your life. That's how I started in the healing ministry. Giving thanks for the little miracles. I've been at this 16 years. Giving thanks for the little. The little miracles. And it increased to the big. But when it increased to the big, I never forget the small. I'm still giving thanks for the little ones. I still get just excited when a headache leaves or a little pain in a finger, pinky leaves. It's like, come on, because I, I can't do that or that. It is only him in me and him through me. We, we, can't, we can't do either of them. It's him, it's him in us and him through us. See, I want to come back to the story of Abraham and Isaac, because we, we think it's an amazing story, which it is. But we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We know how the story ends up. We know that he puts Isaac on the altar and the angel intercepts and it says, Abraham, Abraham, put the dagger down. Don't touch the lad. But Abraham never knew the end of the story. See, he pushed into something that he was so unfamiliar with because God said, do it. And he says, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Not knowing the end of the story. This Remember, this is his only, the promised son that he had waited 25 years for. And then he gets it and God says, kill him. And I want to encourage you this morning because I really believe and I know that there'll be people here where you feel like that you've done things because God told you to do it, even though it turned out to be a total flop. God doesn't measure success how we do. You've done something because God told you to do it, even if it was a flop. God says you're successful. You are successful. I, I really believe that there's people here that God said, "Go and open a business," and you've done it, and it's been a financial disaster. You're like, "I'm a failure." God says you're a success. You are a success because you did what I asked you to do. And we see we see that, and we see that in Abraham is that. He, he takes his son and he puts his son on the altar. We don't know the end of the story. He's about to kill him. And God, the angel steps in and says, don't touch the lad. He didn't have to carry through what he was asked to do. But because of his obedience to do it, God says, now I'm going to bless you. And now I'm going to multiply you. Abraham, you are a successful man. Are you with me? See, we don't know the end of the story. I'm sorry, he didn't know the end of the story. We knew the end of the story, and this is the point. This is the point I'm trying to make here, is that in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse seventeen, it says this. And when I read this the first time, sitting in a hotel room, which I spend too many nights in, I was sitting one morning just studying. And I broke down weeping before the Lord because it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen it says, Abraham concluded that God was even able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. See, Abraham was prepared to go the whole way because God said to do it. He was prepared to take his son and he was prepared to drive that dagger right through him and kill him even though he didn't need to do it. And then he says, but even if he was, he came to the conclusion that even if he died, that he just believed that God raised him from the dead. Now, I want you to think about this. This is Genesis chapter 3. No one had ever been raised from the dead, and it had never been spoken about, and no one wouldn't even know that it was possible. See, Abraham was so far out of his comfort zone that he was believing in God for things that he had not yet seen. And I I just want want to provoke you this morning because Abraham was never a camper. He was a pioneer. And there's no place in Scripture that it speaks about that Abraham settled. He never, there's not a place in the Bible that Abraham settled. He continued to push in and continue to push in and continue to push in, going after everything that God had called him to do. And as a church... I'm not saying we don't care for people. I mean, that's obviously important. But as a church, we're all called to be pioneers. We're all called to push in for the more. What else is possible? You know, it was only, I think it was 12 years ago, that I, I had never heard about metal dissolving in people's bodies. I didn't even think about it. Didn't even know it was possible. And then a, a gentleman came along, and his name is James Maloney, Dr. James Maloney. And Dr. James Maloney starts seeing metal dissolve in people's bodies. He starts seeing pacemakers dissolved. He's got over 100 cases confirmed of pacemakers that are dissolved out of people. Two of them were at my friend's church in Ohio, just up not far from here. Ohio is close to here, right? Two of them are in Ohio. I don't know where I am. I'm <laughs> like... I saw a sign to Dayton so on the way here, so I thought, oh, I know that's in Ohio, so it can't be too far away. <laughs> Two of them, they got prayed for in church, and a bellow of smoke came out of the men. <laughs> they go back to the dot, there's no pacemaker in there any longer. One man was lining up for prayer, and he like he sees it, and he's like, well, i got a pacemaker, I'm going to get prayed too. And he got prayed for, and nothing happened. Goes home, a little bit despondent, takes off his shirt to go to bed. And he's got an open hole cavity in his chest with a wire dangling out. He he's like, oh my word! And he pulls the wire, and the whole pacemaker went flop, and and it fell on the bed, and it went, and it closed off right in front of him. See, so so James Maloney comes, Doctor James Maloney comes along, and he opens the door, and he begins to think about what more is possible. And he opens this door into seeing metal dissolve and pacemakers dissolve. And then he goes and talks to uh, Bill Johnson. And Bill's like, I never thought of that. So Bill starts going after it, and he starts seeing it. And then he he speaks to Randy Clark about it. And Randy's like, I never thought of that. Pray for me. So Bill prays for Randy, and now all three of them see metal dissolve regularly. But they've opened a door. They've opened a door that we're now all walking through because metal is becoming... A common, familiar miracle. See, I don't want to settle. I don't want to camp at Camp Thanksgiving. I must push in to what else is available. Because somebody has to open the door. I wasn't seeing anybody heal autism. And I'm like, well, that's my, I'm going to go after that. And I'm not going to relent until I see autism bow to the name of Jesus not just one or two miracles, I will not stop until I see every autistic child healed. I was not aware of anybody that was healing autism, and I have gone after that for nearly 16 years, a push, a push, a push, many, many years of no fruit, lots of persecution from the church, not the world, (laughs) from the church. Autism doesn't need healing. It's like, yes, it does you've just mixed you've mixed the condition with the identity of the child and now it's become the identity of the child i've pushed in i've seen cerebral palsy healed a little girl get up out of a wheelchair and never go back in i'm after mental retardation kids that are intellectually and physically disabled I am not stopping. That is what I'm going after. And I'm gonna push that door open until it becomes a common miracle that we all walk through, that autism would be seen healed as common day miracle, just like seeing a cold healed or a sore finger. <clears throat> I I I wanna I just really I just really wanna provoke you because like we need to be a church that doesn't settle for familiarity, Pastor. That we push past the familiarity, we push into that which we're not familiar with, until that thing that we're not familiar with becomes familiar, and then that frees me up to go for the unfamiliar. See, when I'm when I'm doing healing services, like on Saturday night, we saw two hundred and I think it was two hundred and sixty-eight miracles. I think it was. Were you there on Friday night? How many? 286. 286 miracles out of like 400 people. See, I always start off a meeting by going after that which I'm familiar with. There's certain miracles I know if I call out, they will be healed. I've got a history with God. I know that 80, 90% of them will be healed every time without exception. Even if I'm in a bad mood, they'll be healed. (laughs) Right? I mean, even if I had a fight with a cat, you know, it's like, they they will be healed because i've got a history with god it's like i don't even need to think about it i hardly even need to engage faith it's just like i know it's going to happen and I, i go after a couple things to help build some faith in the room but then i start then the faith in the room rises and i begin to push into that which i'm unfamiliar with you know i start to go after multiple sclerosis and parkinson's and metal dissolving and those kind of things See, we had, I think it was 60, 68 miracles in the first two things I called out. Things that I'm very familiar with, healed, just like that. Just two-second prayer, and they're healed. See, I could have walked out, closed the meeting, and gone home, and most of those people would have thought, wow, what a good meeting. And I would have gone home and broken down before the Lord and repented because of God. I'm so sorry that I only went with what I'm familiar with. We need to go for more. I'm not talking about out of works. I don't do anything for works, and I don't do things for victory. I do them from victory. I don't work for love. I work from love. I'm not doing it for identity. I do it because of my identity. And, I, I, man, I don't know that I preach this message with quite so much compassion, but I tell you, church, We have to be knocked out of our place of complacency. Jesus didn't go through all he went through, so we can just do church. And I want to, I want, I'm going to close. And this is how, this is how I want, I don't know how I'm going to (laughs) close. This is how, this is how I want to close is that. If you if you're in that place of this is not a condemnation thing because I'm going to stand as well, I am standing. I got a choice. <laughs> I, I I am I am going to stand. But if you're here and you're like, I, I'm not going to put it in a condemning way by saying you're in the place of complacency and you want more. That sounds that sounds condemning. I'm going to say if you want more, stand. Because there's always always more available. I tell you you've got a city out there that needs saving. I'm sure that pastor will probably share with you, but it's a prophetic word at the conference where I was called out by name and and they're speaking to me about they told me the, the prophet didn't know I was coming here and he told me that I was I didn't know I was coming here. Huh. I knew I was going somewhere, I did not know where and I don't even where am I? New Newbridge, Newcastle. Huh. And he began to prophesy that I'm going to be speaking in Newcastle, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and I was going, you know, and someone said, "That's where you're going tomorrow." He, he, uh, you didn't hear all of this, right? He, he, quoted. He said that the Lord, that the key scripture for you in this season is Numbers 14 verse 9. I just preached on that the day before, first time I'd ever preached on it, and it's been the key scripture the last couple of weeks. That I adversity will come, Joshua and Caleb adversity will come. The the 12 spies go into the land, spy at the land. 10 come back and they're like, walls are too big, giants are too big, we can't take it. Joshua comes back and it said, they had a different spirit. They said, we can surely take this land. They They saw the giants. They saw the walls. And then it says this, Numbers 14, 9, that they chose, this is kind of my wording, you can read it for yourself, It says that the adversity became their bread. In the message it says their adversity became their lunch. It's meat for us. That's a much better version. I like meat. Don't like bread. I do like fat. (laughs) Fat. I just love eating fat. Avocado, three eggs, and five bits of bacon for breakfast. Thank you. The adversity became their bread. What if we took another approach to when trials come, that we actually use the trials in our life to build our faith, and we're going to eat it like bread because it's going to feed us in order that we can push into everything that God has for us as a city and as a church. I want you to lay your hand on someone next to you. I, I I want you to begin to pray for them. And this is what I want you to... We're not in the coffee shop, right? Little quiet prayers in the corner. It's like, we don't want anybody to hear. I want you to pray for them, that they're going to begin to see the most extraordinary miracles through their life, that this city is going to be the city that's going to be transformed. Pray out loud. Go. Pray that hunger will arise in them, that there'll be a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost. Father, there'll be a fresh hunger that would rise in them for a significant breakthrough of the miraculous. Begin to pray for New Castle. Begin to pray for New Castle. Pray for this city that there's gonna be a miraculous breakthrough in the city. That the sports stadium here will be full. That it will be full with people running to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now here's what I here's, here's what I wanna do next. Is that you mentioned something at the start, I don't remember quite the words you put it, but it might have been an offering time. I don't remember, but you said something along the lines of that there's about people that really feel like they're called to a signs and wonders ministry, like something like that. And uh, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about being in the pulpit. This is not the pinnacle of the signs and wonders movement. Please, like, don't aspire to that. <laughs> like, that's just a hard life. Trust me, it's a hard and tiring, lonely life. <laughs> Spend 90 days away from my hot wife. It's just not pleasant. <laughs> I'm going home tonight. <laughs> but hey, I want—I want to do this. Is that if you feel that you're called to the signs and wonders ministry? Now you might say, "Well, I'm just a stay-home mum." That's all right. You, if you feel you're called to the signs and wonders ministry as a stay-home mum, whether you feel like you're called to the pulpit, you know that you're called. There is something on your life that I want. To be in the signs and wonders healing ministry, you want to see people healed. I want to lay hands on you. You come to the front now. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want to. I want to say this to you. This is, my, this is my, my theology, and I believe it's, I believe it's biblical. I'm, I don't have a message to prepare on it quite yet because I'm not, I'm not quite ready. But 1 John 2.20 says that you already have an anointing of the Holy One. Stop trying to get an anointing for healing and recognize Jesus is the center that you've already got it. You know, it's like, oh, pastor, but I need, I need the gift of healing. You already got it. It's called Jesus. You already got the anointing of the Holy One. I, I go as far as saying this, is that if I'm praying for pastor and he needs a miracle, I'm not the one that needs the gift of healing. The sick person does. The, the, the gift of healing is not for the person praying. It's for the person receiving. We need to start giving away what we've got. You believe that you've got a signs and wonders miracle. When did you last pray for the last sick person? Like if you really believe you've got a, a, a ministry for, for the sick, Start praying. Start releasing because even without the fruit, when you do what you feel God called you to do, even when it's not a breakthrough, God says, you're successful. Amen? Amen. Can you put a CD on and we're just going to minister to these people for a few minutes? Just put your hands out in front of you. This is, not, this, is, this is honestly, I, I don't know that I've ever done this like this, finished it like this. But I, I believe that there's something that's going to be released and imparted this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would come and power. Father, you would come and power, God. Father, you would come upon these people. Father, I pray for the city. Father, I pray for the city of Newcastle. God, I pray that that stadium, that college stadium, that seats twelve thousand, whatever it is, Father, will be full with the just incredible miracle services. Father, I call into word, I call into being the word that you placed yesterday through Bob. Father, that even the sheriff and the mayor would come to see what's happening. Father, we call for breakout. Father, we want to see breakout. God, we want to see revival. You know how you know how revival starts? You know how revival starts? Stop calling out for revival to come and start being one. William Booth once said a quote, and I can't remember what it is. It said, "I, I I'm not waiting for revival. I am revival. See, that's how it starts. It's getting inside your circle and stepping inside your little revival circle and saying, oh, as for me and my house, we're going to have revival. So, Father, come in power. Father, come in power. Father, let there just be a release. Father, let there be a release, God. Let there be just a release of an impartation, God, upon these people. Father, come in power. Come in power, God. Come in power. Father, touch this one. Touch this one afresh. Touch them, Father. Touch them, Father. More, God. More, God. Thank you, God. More, God. Father, more power. Father, may they be conduits and vessels of power. Thank you, God. More, more, more. Father, touch these young ones. Touch these young ones. Father, I pray, God, that you have marked their lives. Father, you have marked their lives for more. More, more, more. Greater breakthrough, God. Greater breakthrough. Greater breakthrough, Jesus. Thanks, God. Father, there be signs and wonders. The Lord says, stop reflecting my light. Stop reflecting my glory. You don't reflect my glory. You are my glory. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 61, arise, shine, arise, shine, for the light has come. For your light has come. More, God. More, 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 more. Thank you, God. More, God. More, 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 God. Great grace. Father, let this Batman be a conduit of great grace. Father, let great grace be upon him. Thanks, God. More, God. More, more, more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Bless him. Bless them. bless him. Great miracle. Father, great miracles, great miracles, God. Let there be great miracles, Father, come from these hands. Fire! Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Father, we thank you, God, this, that your life's just beginning. <laughs> You're just warming up. <laughs> Thanks, God. Yeah, I just feel like the Lord says that He sees the hunger of your heart. He's seen the hunger of the heart and the things that you've cried out for for years. And He hasn't forgotten and He says to you that there's going to be an increase that will come back for everything that you feel like you've missed out on, you get to see in these days. You're going to get to see everything you feel like you've missed out on. You get it. When He pays interest, He pays it with compound. It's compound interest. So Father, let your fire and your grace, God, come upon them. Let your fire and your grace come upon them. Thanks, God. I don't even feel like you're just wearing purple today. Is this your husband? Yeah, it's like. Seventy years! Come on, you don't look old enough, huh? Eighty-five, man. My my, my grandparents are nineteen ninety-one, and they're having their seventieth this year. Come on, man, you got married young, didn't you? That's amazing! I've never met anybody else to be married for 70 years apart from my grandparents. Yeah, thanks, God. Let me just say more, God. Yeah. Man, you guys are just spring chickens. You're just starting. (laughs) Haha. Yeah, he's not through with you yet. You're just warming up. <laughs> yeah, God, we just bless them. God, we bless them for another 70 years of marriage. <laughs> you may not want to receive that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Father, we just, we just release more. Father, let them more, let the great grace, Father, let great grace, let great grace be upon them. Father, let it just be a release this morning. Father, I just pray there'd be a real release this morning, a release of power. Father, let there be a real release of an impartation this morning. Let great grace be upon these people and upon this city. Thank you, Jesus. More, more, more. Thanks, God. More, God. Thanks, God. Man, is anybody just hungry? I'm so hungry. I'm not talking about for bacon. I'm talking about for Jesus. Thanks, God. More, God. More, God. Father, pour out your spirit. Father, mark this mark this young man. Mark this young man. What mountain are you called to? What do you, what do you want to do? Missions. Yeah, Father, mark him, God. Father, I pray, God, that he'll be a reformer to the nations. A reformer to the nations. Where do you want to go? Man, I saw I saw Stan. Stan. You know, Kazakhstan, you know, all those Stans, you know. In that area, like just yeah, you know, Father. Yeah, the hard places. Yeah, the hard places are the funnest places. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. More God. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, God. Pour out your spirit. Great grace. Father, let great grace. Father, I pray, God, that this would be a church that will not settle, that will not settle for the familiarity, that will not settle. Father, to continue to push in for everything that you paid for. Thanks, God. Mark this, young lady. Mark Jesus. What do you want to do? <laughs> Mission. Missions. Huh, <laughs> oh, Where are you going? You don't know yet. Thanks, God. Father, mark her life. Father, I pray that there'll be a big bullseye that'll be painted on today and that your Holy Spirit will be attracted to it and you will hunt her down, that you will hunt her down. You'll come after her like a 50 caliber bullet that just will not relent, that it'll just pursue after her with your grace and your love. Father, that she'll be a nation transformer. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. More, God. Father, pour it out. Pour it out. Great grace, great grace be upon them. Great grace, Father, be upon them. Thanks, God. Great grace. More God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Great grace. Thanks, God. Mark this young one, God. What do you want to do? You don't know. You just want to heal the sick. Go and do it. Thank you. Get these young ladies, get these young ladies, power, God, let your grace, let your grace, let your grace come upon them all. Thanks, God. Father, we thank you for the spirit that's already in us. God, we just, we just position you back as the center of our lives. Get them, God. Bam. Get them. God. You know, we don't have a junior Holy Spirit. My youngest ministry team member is Six. He is just a rocking little revival to sees more sick people healed in my healing rooms than most of the adults. More God. Mark him, God. Hello. What do you want to
1: do? Go not
2: Preach. You know. <laughs> thanks, God. Thanks, God. More, God. More, God. More, more, more. Thanks, God. More, Father. If I missed anybody, thanks, God. Thanks, God. What do you want to do? What you doing? What are you doing right now? What, are you in school, college? Thanks, God. You just work. Where do you work? At Dix Sporting. I love this. My favorite sporting shop. <laughs> Dix has just knocked our computer out sports authority is shutting down our city. I love this. Thanks God. We're just heal the second Dick's. Dix. There we go, customer service. Just be the best customer service agent you can possibly be. Thanks, God, more, more, Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, God. Sorry if you work for Sports Authority. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, God. For out your spirit, great image, great God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray, God, that these people will just be used to extraordinary, Extraordinary ways. What do you do? What do you burn for? Are you like an evangelist? Or do you see yourself as an evangelist? No? Well, we've just go heal the sick then. Thanks, God. You, you don't need to be an evangelist to heal the sick. You just gotta be in love with Jesus. Thanks, God. More God. Thanks, God. Yeah, and he says, you say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, Father. And he says, well, I'll just come with you for whatever you want to do. Thanks, God. The will of God's so big we can't miss it. Thanks, God. More, more, more. Why don't you just put your hand on someone next year? Just pray for more. Just say, Jesus, get them in the congregation. Just find someone that looks hungrier than you are. And just begin to say, God, give them more. Give them more. Thanks, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thanks, God. All right. Who needs a miracle? Put your hand up if you need a miracle. All right. All you that came forward, you're the ministry team. Go find someone with their hand up. Keep your hand up. In the congregation, you need a miracle, put your hand up. Ministry team, you're the ones. Go find them. Go find someone. If your hand's not up, go and find someone to pray for that's got their hand up. Youngest to the oldest, you're all my ministry team. Go find someone. Find out what's wrong. Don't ask God to come and heal it. Don't say God if it be your will. Just lay hands on them and command that thing off them. Real quick prayer and say, test it out. Elijah, what a cool name. Has everyone got someone? Wave wave your hand if you don't have someone yet. Thanks, God. Wave it nice and high if you don't have someone. I've got some people over here to my right, over my left. Just just command that thing off. It's not allowed on their body. Father, we just release your grace. Father, just release the children. Just pray short prayers. You don't need to pray long prayers. We don't need to beg God to heal. Thank you, Jesus. If there's any if there's anyone that has autistic anyone that has autistic children, I'd I love to take the opportunity to, to my team would love to pray. Well, I'll pray for autistic people. I've got a team here that'll help minister as well. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor? Hmm? Yeah, okay, I'll pray for you. Just wait right over there and I'll pray for you. Asperger's, autism, doesn't have to be just kids. Just just over there. Where's the, where's the pastor? Oh, right there. Thank you, Jesus.
1: He's going to pray for kids over here, or people with autism. So please bring your kids up here. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Everybody, just continue to pray. Amen.
2: We got one here. We got a couple here. We've been believing for this one, and this one. Amen. Can I just say something to all the autistic parents? As I've seen, like 40, 40 or 41 kids. It's a little hard to keep track right now because they're all at different levels, you know, and and not not. There's 99% of the kids were not healed instantly, right? One was, one boy was watching in Florida, me speaking in Ohio, he watched on a stream and got healed in front of the TV why he watched. It just happened just a couple of weeks ago, October I think it was, a couple of months back. But most, most of the kids that have been ministered to have been ministered to and then they've started to come into their right mind. So don't miss the miraculous because you're looking for the spectacular. Do I love the spectacular? Yes, but not at the expense of the miraculous. All right? So just go on this journey of beginning to look for new things and celebrate. Celebrate in every little new thing that you begin to see. See, an adult Asperger's healed a number of times. The kids with autism and Asperger's and little girl cerebral palsy. Just begin to celebrate in the little things. Right? I really do feel like we miss the miracle, so we walk out and we like, wow, that didn't work. You know, it's like, just give thanks. If God is outside of time, which He is, right, then shouldn't we be giving thanks for the miracle like it's already happened? Because the miracle is not the future, it's the past. It's called the cross. That's where it happens. So let's give thanks for the cross. And we're seeing all these kids, which I'm just getting overwhelmed on these reports of like, wow, little boy in Germany, I appeared at night in a dream and got him healed in a dream. That's I mean, that's even easier and I don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, there's a little boy in Abilene, Texas, severely Asperger's, just boom, he just gets healed and the little boy in Florida and the Little girl in hope. I wrote a story. There's a chapter. The mother wrote a chapter in my book called Prisoner of Hope. Zechariah 9 12. Return to your fortress, you prisoner of hope, for I will restore double for your trouble. The girl's name was Hope. Dramatically healed. Over a couple months, dramatically healed. They had a babysitter in and they said to the babysitter, if I told you one of my kids was autistic, which one would it be? And they chose the wrong one. I mean, she's that healed. And, and so I, I just encourage you, like, lay, lay hands on them at night. And peace means shalom. Shalom means the spirit that destroys chaos. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. You can only give away what you know you have. The internal reality has to be greater than the external reality. Lay hands on them and just speak the shalom of heaven over them. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. I'm going to hand it over. My team are going to help me pray. These are my two interns, personal interns right here. I've got two team members. And we'll have someone on the product table, but we we do want to pray. Thanks, Jesus.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jesus. As their team prays, church, God is doing a work. Amen. Would you pray with us? Just begin to intercede god is the god of breakthrough in jesus name we just declare the word of the lord lord we thank you for restoration lord we thank you for restoration lord we praise you we thank you god we thank you lord jesus thank you father god amen thank you jesus
0: bless you God praise you Father thank you Lord Jesus thank you for deliverance God thank you for healing thank you thank you thank you Father thank you God just release it Father